Well, good morning, everybody. It is uh, good to be back with you. Emily and I were out of town last week, and I know Jason Brown gave an awesome message, which I was able to listen to on the podcast. If you don't subscribe to the podcast, find somebody younger than you that can get it set up on your phone <laughs> so you can listen while uh, you're traveling or if you just want to listen to a message again. And uh, if you were here and you heard Jason's message, will y'all give him a round of applause? Uh, Thank you for sharing your story with us. And as I was listening to Jason's story, I couldn't help but think about God's work in my life and, and my story and how there's been twists and turns along the way. And as Tammy was talking about earlier, you know, I came to faith, I was one of those people who came to faith at a very early age, actually, when I was in late elementary school, um, through dedicated people who loved me and who taught me about Jesus Christ. And so I came to faith at a young age, and then, you know, sometimes when people come to faith at a young age, maybe in adolescence or young adulthood or some other time, they, they go through like a little streak of rebellion. Um, and that, that was part of my story. Um, my rebellion took place, you know, kind of in my adolescent years, but it wasn't, you know, drinking and drugs and sex and that kind of common stuff that you hear about a lot of times. My rebellion took place in rebelling against my parents and their desires for me. As I was disobedient to them, and every day when they were at work still or doing different things, at about four o'clock, I would turn on Jerry Springer. <laughs> Y'all know that show? Y'all know Jerry Springer? Yes. That's terrible. You shouldn't know Jerry Springer, okay? You shouldn't know the show. It is a terrible show. Don't watch it. Don't go look at it on YouTube. But every day, I would secretly watch Jerry Springer. Because I am somebody, I love to watch other people's drama. I love to watch other people's drama, but I don't want to be a part of the drama myself. And so every day I would turn on the show and I would watch the show. And if you're not familiar with it, I mean, it is, it, it is just a dramatic daytime television talk show. And there is envy, there are lies, there are family secrets being revealed that you couldn't even imagine. I mean, as an adolescent kid, I was like, what? I mean, every day my mind was blown People were just fighting on stage. It was wild stuff. And I was drawn to it like a bug going to a blue light. I mean, I couldn't get enough of it. And now, thankfully, I've kind of put that in my past, and, and that's behind me. I don't watch it anymore, and you shouldn't either. But I still like a little bit of drama. I like to watch drama. I like to read about it. The TV shows I, I love all have just dramatic, crazy stuff going on. And I think that's why when it comes to the Bible, I am drawn so much to the story of Joseph. Because Joseph and his family story, it is full of drama. It's full of lies, envy, crazy family relationships and kids and marriages and all sorts of different stuff, secrets, hatred, people doing bad stuff to each other, fighting. I mean, it is a wild story. And so since I've been a little kid, I've always been drawn to this story. And it's a pretty unforgettable story because when we find it in the last half of Genesis, it's a very detailed story. I mean, it kind of reads just like a soap opera. It's also an unforgettable story because the main character that we see in it, Joseph, he is somebody that we find is extremely faithful. And he's an extremely likable character in the end. And so over time, maybe you, you heard the story of Joseph as a kid. Uh, maybe you've never heard it before. But as we go throughout this series, I'm glad that you're here because th today and the next four weeks, we're going to be diving deeper into his story together. And we're going to be reading it and seeing how God wants to speak to it, speak to the, 
to us through that story in these weeks ahead. And so as we kind of prepare to dive deeper into the scriptures and listen to his story uh, again or for the first time, as you listen to it, I want you to keep in mind this story that I recently heard. It's a true story about a pastor who took a group of missionaries over to Africa to do a training session for uh, some African pastors and leaders there. So he was going over there, and him and all the missionaries went, and they were leading a time of rest and renewal for these African leaders. And they said, look, our time together is going to be centered on the story of Joseph. And he said, before we begin, just curious, how would you summarize the story of Joseph if you had to in one sentence? And what was interesting was the Americans who had come over, they all had one set of answers, but the African pastors all had a very different set of answers. The Americans all said, this is a story about redemption. And the African pastor said, this is a story about a family. And as we dive deeper into this story, I want you to think about it not just as a story about Joseph, but about really his entire family, his clan, if you will. And as we dive deeper, you're going to find that it is a very dysfunctional family. It's a very dysfunctional family with a lot of drama. And Joseph's story and his family's story begins at home like a lot of our stories do. And so today we're going to read a bit more scripture than usual. And I'm going to kind of break it up here and there as we look at the entire chapter of Genesis 37. And so if you have your Bible, I invite you to open it up. Um, We're going to be reading from the New International Version. Um, If you don't, you can follow along on the screen or download the Bible app or, or get a free Bible at the Welcome Center. And so Joseph's story starts here in verse 1, where we hear about his father. You see, Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. And this is the account of Jacob's family line. Some translations put this verse, this is the story of Jacob and his family. So Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, And he brought their father a bad report about them. And now Israel, which is another name for Jacob, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he had made an ornate robe for him. Now this word ornate here, you might have heard it translated at one time, a coat of many colors. This was a very ornate coat, kind of lots of stuff going on, very long. It was a robe or a cloak or a coat It kind of signified a higher status, the status of a ruler. So Jacob gives his son Joseph this robe. And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. And one day Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. And he said to them, listen to the dream I had. We were binding sheaves, that's bundles of grain, out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. And his brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. And then he had another dream. And he told to his brothers, he said, listen, I had another dream and this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. And when he told his father about this dream, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come to bow down to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. So we're going to pause right here. Because as you can see, the drama 
is beginning to pile up a little bit. And so we find out early on that Joseph is one of the 12 sons of Jacob. And Jacob and the 12 sons, well, the 12 sons, they all kind of have different mothers. There's a lot of women at play here. So, you know, six of the sons are from one of his wives, Leah, who he did not really like much at all. Then two of the sons are from his wife, Rachel. That's the one he really loved. And then four of the sons are from Bilhah and Zilpah, which are the handmaids of Leah and Rachel. And now that's, that's a more complicated story. Uh, you can read that, not, not to your kids at night, but uh, you, know, you can read that on your own if you want to go back and get some context for this. So you can see it is some complicated relationships among these brothers and their families and everything going on. And to make things even more complicated, Joseph is the favored son. He is the oldest son born to Rachel, born late in life. And Jacob loves him more than all the others. And not only does he love him, he, he actually gives him a sign of that love with this robe, which basically signals to the brothers and others around, hey, one day you're going to rule over the family. Now, I want you to think about your family, maybe your siblings, how if you were to go out to lunch today and your parents just sat you down, maybe at the new pita place on Jonesboro Road. It's a pretty good new restaurant. Maybe they just sat you down and they said, hey, you know what, uh, Jerry, we just want to tell you, you are our favorite son. Your siblings are sitting around and they say, you know what, you're going to get all the inheritance. I mean, can you imagine the kind of drama that that would ensue in the years ahead and the resentment and the hatred and the jealousy that would begin to grow as your parents are very clear, you are the favorite. Now, you might know that you're the favorite. Like, I know I'm the favorite of my family, but my parents have never said that to me. It's not healthy to say it to the kids. So he has heard and publicly signaled, you are the favored son. And so not only is he the favored son, but he has a dream. He has this important dream, and not only one, but two. So it's been, it's been confirmed. And in this day and age, I mean, they interpreted pretty much all dreams as given by God. So he has this dream, which basically signals to his family, hey, one day, I'm going to rule over you. One day, you will bow down to me. And then the second dream is, is more cosmic in nature. It's like, yeah, not just y'all, but more than you are going to bow down, and I'm going to rule or reign over you one day. So as you can imagine, the envy grows, the hatred grows, the jealousy grows, and the drama continues as we continue in the story. And so verse 12, now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, well, as you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to them, go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks and bring word back to me. And then he sent them off from the valleys of Hebron. And when Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around the fields and asked him, what are you looking for? And Joseph replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they're grazing the flocks? They've moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance. And before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. And then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Notice what's happening here. These brothers were having sinful thoughts, hatred, envy. 
And those thoughts were like little seeds. This is how sin works in our lives. And as these seeds were watered and as they kind of nurtured these thoughts in their hearts, the sinful thoughts grew and they grew into sinful plans. And then ultimately we find that they're going to lead to sinful actions in just a moment. This is not just how sin works here, it's also how it works in us and in our families. As I heard recently, sin will always take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. And we're going to find that out in this family. And so it continues, verse 21, when Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue his brother from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. And the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. And as they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. And their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. And Judah said to his brothers, well, what will we gain if we kill him and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he's our brother, our own flesh and blood. Let's do the right thing, guys. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. And now 20 shekels, that's like the going rate. It's not, not high or not low, and it's not going to be much money between them once it's all split up. And when Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph wasn't there, he tore his clothes and he went back to his brothers and he said, Look, the boy isn't here. Where can I turn now? And then they got Joseph's robe. They slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in blood. They took the ornate robe back to their father and said, look, we found this. Examine this to see whether it's, it's your son's robe. And Jacob recognized it and he said, it is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. And then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and mourned his son for many days. And all his sons and daughters came to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. And so his father wept for him. Jacob held that bloody piece of the robe. A robe that before was a sign of his love for his son. Now this robe was a sign of death and a sign of grief. And the sons are all there, you know, crocodile tears, saying, this is such a tragedy, it's so sad. And the lies are continuing to grow. The deception continues, and now it's taking root even more in the family. Now, if you go back earlier in Genesis, and I'd encourage you during this series to, to read the book of Genesis to kind of get the full context for this, you'll know that this kind of envy and deception and lies, this, this, this isn't new stuff. These are really generational dysfunctions in this family that have now come to visit them in the present. And I know for some of you, I mean, when you hear this story this morning, it, it kind of reminds you of your own family. Because your family has generational dysfunction. I mean, there have been lies deeply held among family members and others didn't know them. There's been envy, there's been favoritism, there's been jealousy. 
There's been all of this stuff growing over time, and so you can relate to this family. And if that's your family, I mean, maybe you feel like Joseph might have. Maybe you had a dream at one point, and your dream was to do something great and to to be something great. Maybe it wasn't some God-given dream, but it was just a dream you had, and, and people in your family said, look, our family, you can't do that. You're one of us. Maybe like Joseph's brothers told him, they were like, look, you're not worth anything. You can't, you can't go on to achieve anything great or important. You're worthless. You're no good. You're, you're worth pretty much nothing. Maybe your relationships in the world has kind of impressed that message upon you. If that's you this morning, I want to I share with you a couple more verses from this story which give us a little glimpse of God's grace and God's work even in the midst of of this difficult situation. Because I think all of us at some point in time have felt maybe like Joseph felt when he was sitting in that pit. Maybe we felt like, you know what? This is the end of my story. God's pretty much done with me. The brokenness, it's too broken. The darkness is too dark. I can't really be used by God for anything good anymore. And if you've ever thought that or felt that, I just want to share with you these these two verses. One is at the end of chapter 37, verse 36. We read this. Meanwhile... The Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. And then as the story, 38, chapter 38 is kind of an interlude, as it picks back up in chapter 39, I want you to see verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. Now, these verses seem kind of small and maybe insignificant after the drama has taken up so much space in chapter 37. But these verses reveal to us that in the mess of Joseph's family, in the mess of his relationships, God is still at work in the midst of the mess. God is still active in Joseph's life, even when Joseph feels like this is the end, there's nothing more, I I don't know that there's going to be anything beyond this pit. These verses reveal to us that God is still working. And I I mean, I love, if we can put it back up there, where it says in verse 2 of chapter 39, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was for Joseph. The Lord never leaves Joseph. And I'm not going to reveal the end of the story to you because I want you to come back in future weeks to join us. But I'll just tell you this. That although Joseph, maybe he felt in that pit that this was at the end of his story, he goes on to do great things for God and for his kingdom. God actually uses Joseph to bless many nations, to fulfill part of the covenant that he gave to Abraham earlier in Genesis. Out of this messy, dysfunctional family, God raises up Joseph as a great leader to do great things. And do you know who else comes from Jacob's messed up, dysfunctional family? Jesus. Jesus has these knuckleheads in his family tree as well. Jesus, the one through whom God would ultimately fulfill that covenant promise that all of the nations would be blessed, he comes from this family. And because of Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection, and his power to reconcile, to redeem, to restore, and to make all things new, you can know that no matter the dysfunction in your family, 
God isn't finished with you yet. No matter the drama in your life, the drama in your relationships, God isn't done with you yet. God, like he was with Joseph, is with you. God is for you. God will never leave nor forsake you. Even if it seems dark, even if it seems like the brokenness is too much, God has a dream for you. Do you believe that? Sometimes it's hard to believe. Sometimes it's hard to believe because people have just told us for so long that your time is over. You're worth nothing. You can't do anything great. But God has a dream for your life. And maybe God's dream for you is like God's dream was for me when I was in middle school. I first learned of it. Maybe God's dream for you is to go into ministry and to be a pastor or a leader in a church one day. Maybe God's dream for you is is to to raise up a young child who's going to go on to do great and mighty things for God. Maybe God's dream for you is to bless other people through supervising employees at work. You know, sometimes we think, okay, God's dream for us, we we tend to think of it in terms of like the American dream. Like, okay, God's dream for me is to have a puppy, two and a half kids, a fenced-in backyard, and a paid-off house in a good school district, right? I mean, sometimes that's what we think God's dream is for all of us, and maybe that's part of God's dream for you. But God's dream for you, God's dream for us is greater than that. It's greater than you. God's dream for you is just like it was for Joseph. It is to bless other people through your life. And so maybe it's through volunteering with the children's ministry and impacting a young person here in this church or in this community. And maybe it's, it's taking that step of faith and saying, you know what, I have musical abilities and I'm going to use them for the Lord. Maybe it's, it's joining something existing going on in our community or in our church. Maybe it's starting something brand new because God has put a dream on your heart. Some of you know this, but a little while back, earlier this year, Donna Lummis, who's our amazing chair of our leadership team, she said, hey, I was at Delta where she works and Street Grace, a ministry that works with women caught up in human trafficking, they spoke and I think our church might can work with them. And then Donna Foster, another leader in our church, she said, hey, I'm retiring from the school district and I feel like God's not done with me yet. He's put on my heart all the children who go to schools in Henry County who live in hotels. And then God had a dream for our church that he's been birthing for a while now of going out beyond ourselves and blessing other people outside the walls. And all of these dreams came together as we began a new ministry and reaching out to these families who live in these hotels and helping women, helping children and blessing them. All of those came together because people were listening and were trying to discern what is God's dream for my life. And so I just want to ask you this morning, what is God's dream for your life? Maybe you've never thought about that question before. Maybe you thought God was done with you. Maybe you had a dream and fear took over. Or you thought, I'm too old. I'm too young. I don't have the resources to get the education and to go on and to do these different things. What is God's dream 
for you. Today, I want you to dream again. I want you to dream anew. I want you to ask God, God, I know that you're with me, you're for me, that you have plans for a future and for a hope for me, and God, I want you to reveal those things to me today. That's what I want us to do in these final moments together is to simply come before God and say, God, here we are. We know that as individuals and as a group that you're not done with us yet. No matter the dysfunction, you're still at work. And I want us to pray and ask God to reveal us, reveal to us the dreams he has for each of us as individuals and us as a group. So would you bow your heads in prayer with me? God, we know there is a lot of dysfunctional families represented in this room. God, there are a lot of secrets. There are a lot of feelings of envy. There's a lot of brokenness. And God, in in different ways, we confess that we've contributed to those things in our families and in our relationships. God, we ask that you would forgive us for the ways that we've contributed to it. And God, we ask that you would heal us from the ways that we've been affected by the brokenness all around us. And God, we we pray today that you would encourage us, that you would inspire us, that you would help us see that you're not done with us yet, that you have more for us. And God, we just want to take a moment of silence right now and say to you, God, here we are. We're your sons. We're your daughters. We're disciples of Jesus Christ. We want to be used by you. And God, we pray that you would begin pouring out in our minds. Maybe it's through the encouragement of other people after the service, bringing up old things in our hearts. God, we pray that you would help us see the dreams that you have for us. And so God, we ask that you would speak to us now. Give us the courage. Give us wisdom. Give us faith. God, give us favor as we begin to live out the dreams we believe that you have for us. God, help us as you work through us to bless other people here in this community, in this church this country and to the ends of the earth. We thank you for your word and we thank you for this day. In Jesus' holy name that we pray. Amen.